Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... With Food for Life Global, as I said, it's not just about feeding people, it's about creating unity in the world. So we're not your average food relief organization. We're using food as a way to unite people, to promote this idea that, hey, we're earthlings, we're spiritual beings, we're all brothers and sisters. I love you, here's a plate of food. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. My name is Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Paul Turner. Australian-born Paul Rodney Turner is the current director of Food for Life Global the world's largest vegan food relief organization with projects in over 65 countries. The charity's services include free schools, orphanages, animal sanctuaries, and large-scale food distribution kitchens that serve over 2 million freshly cooked meals daily. At the age of 19, Paul was initiated into the Vaishnava tradition and lived as a monk for 14 years. He's a former board member of IVU, or the International Vegan Union, was a senior consultant for the World Bank for 10 years, and along with teaching food yoga, he is an accomplished Indian gourmet and raw vegan chef. He is an author of six books, including Food Yoga, The Five Noble Truths, and How to Build a Successful Food Relief. During his volunteer work for Food for Life, Paul has visited over 73 countries as well as coordinated disaster relief for the Asian tsunami of 2004. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing how Food for Life Global is providing humanitarian relief through equitably distributing plant-based meals and opportunities for organizations to prioritize social impact. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's really exciting to be speaking with you. Oh, you're most welcome, India. It's a pleasure for me as well. Excellent. So to start off, Paul, could you please share a bit about your background and then what was it that originally led to your work in social enterprise and charity? I was a regular kid growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney, Australia, but I was always a bit of a philosopher. And an example of this is at the age of 15, I became an amateur astronomer. And literally with my best friend, we would sit up at night, sometimes all night, just studying the stars and looking for meteor showers and UFOs and so on. And we became so good at that as amateur astronomers, we could literally read the night sky. We learned the Greek alphabet, which is what is used to measure the magnitude of stars. So that planted a seed in my heart to ask the big questions about life, which is, why are we here? Why are we so small? The universe is so big. What's the purpose? And that sort of thing. Fast forward a few years, I decided to make the big step of immersing myself in a spiritual tradition to find those answers. So at the age of 19, which is pretty radical looking back, until 33, I practiced celibacy and studied the ancient scriptures of India. 
to find those answers. And that set the framework for the rest of my life because my first service as a monk was preparing food and feeding the homeless in Sydney. That sort of formed my life's mission, essentially, where I made feeding the world a big part of the direction of my life. And so Food for Life became the main vehicle for that. Over the years, and this is starting from 1984 when I first became a volunteer, Food for Life was really a grassroots type of operation. At that time, there were maybe 10 projects around the world, maybe not even that. In 1993, I was already running my own Food for Life project in Sydney, and I was asked to leave Australia to set up the headquarters for an international effort to expand the program around the world. In 1995, we finally did establish the nonprofit. And then up until 2023, we now have projects in 65 countries, as you mentioned, serving between one and two million meals every day. And uh, along with Food for Life, I have various social enterprises which are supporting the charity work that I do and the charity work that my wife does. Her name is Juliana, and she runs the only animal sanctuary in all of Colombia. It's a certified animal sanctuary with 300 animals and it's also part of the affiliate network of food for life global wow really strong sense of purpose there and lots of different impact that you're creating clearly through food for life global that charity there and also the social enterprise you run so as director of food for life global can you please share how this nonprofit is generating an impact and what are some of its activities our mission at food for life global is to unite the world through the sharing, the liberal distribution of plant-based meals prepared with a loving intention. It's a very unique angle on solving the big problem of world hunger. So although we are very good at filling bellies, and there are many other nonprofits in this space that are very good at providing meals, although maybe not as cost-efficient as Food for Life Global, and certainly not vegan, that's another unique aspect of our project, that it's all freshly cooked plant-based. But more importantly, we have this philosophy called food yoga, where we believe that one of the ingredients as you prepare a meal is the intention that you put into it. And this gets back to the roots of my spirituality, where as monks, when we were preparing the meals for the public, we wouldn't even taste the food while we prepared it. It's pretty much a standard practice for most chefs around the world. While they're preparing food, they're sticking a spoon in the pot and tasting it to make sure it's just right. We don't do that at Food for Life Global because our understanding is this is a gift. And just if you're to buy your girlfriend a box of chocolates, you wouldn't test one of the chocolates before you gave her the box of chocolates, right? You give her the box of chocolates as they are in their pure form. In the same way, because we believe this is a loving gift, we want it to be experienced like that. One of the ingredients of that meal preparation is the intention. So we want to make sure that our intention is pure. This is a gift for someone in need. It's a blessing. And we want to make sure that food has a very high vibration. So there's a subtle aspect of food, which most people are not familiar with. And that's the idea behind the food yoga concept, where the word yoga means to connect. And so when you have food yoga, it's connecting with food on a more intimate level, a more subtle level, and using that pure food as a way to connect with someone else in a very deep way, beyond the physical, in a more spiritual way. That's one aspect. So there's food yoga, which makes us very different. The fact that we're plant-based is very unique. The fact that all the meals are freshly cooked, which is another very unique aspect, because at the scale that we operate, it's typically 
not expected or it's not what these big organizations do they don't prepare freshly cooked meals it's all prepared it's all frozen or prepackaged whereas with us we freshly cooked the food that day so there's food relief going on at a mass scale around the world and then on top of that we have educational components where we provide meals at schools to underprivileged children thus encouraging them to go to school to get a full education thus breaking the poverty cycle and then we have animal sanctuary projects where we support the rescue and caring of rescued animals mm-hmm. as a way to show people that all life is sentient, all life deserves respect. It's not just humans because we're all in this together. We're all interdependent beings. All life is sacred. That's a very important message as well. The other really important thing in terms of our impact and the measurability of Food for Life is that we can deliver on average one freshly cooked meal for 50 cents. Every dollar donated will result in two underprivileged children or adults getting a freshly cooked plant-based meal. Wow. It's really amazing, just the many facets of impact that are being created there. And throughout your journey in social impact and also spirituality, you've been involved in humanitarian projects and responding and providing relief during these crises. And in 2004, you were involved in responding to the tsunamis in Asia So if you were discussing about these projects that you've worked on throughout the past, how can you provide a long-term social impact in addition to immediately responding to the issue at hand? So instead of just providing that immediate Band-Aid solution, how do you, through organisations like Food for Life, create a longer-term social impact and positive change? That's a good question. It's one of the ways that people criticize projects like this because they feel like, oh, it's really a short-term solution. Instead of feeding a man fish, teach him how to fish. Instead of feeding a man vegetables, teach him how to garden. That's the vegan version of that maxim, by the way. Food for Life has been a first responder to some of the greatest disasters in modern history. One of them was, as you pointed out, the tsunami of 2004 Boxing Day, which devastated Southeast Asia. And it took the lives of a quarter of a million people. We were actually a first responder. Literally the same afternoon that tsunami hit, we had a Food for Life team in South India providing meals the same afternoon. And then very soon after that, we set up camps around the island of Sri Lanka, which is just below India. And three quarters of the island had been impacted by the disaster. So there were many people displaced and suffering. So we set up makeshift kitchens in the villages around the island and provided about 300 or 350,000 meals over the next three months. Regarding long-term, one of the ways we do that is by including education as a component of the food relief response. So when we provide these meals, we try to teach people about sustainability, growing food, ways to feed themselves very economically, not depending on the government and so on, so farming and stuff like that. In India, we have a very good example where we provide meals at government schools where underprivileged children attend. Many of those children, if not for the free meal that we provide at lunchtime, would not be coming to school. They'd be at home working with their family to try to make ends meet to survive. But because we provide a freshly cooked meal at the school, the mothers and the fathers are encouraging them to go to school to get an education. And as a result, that education leads to breaking the poverty cycle. So it's really a long-term solution, which at first look, looks like we're just filling bellies, but actually has a very long-term impact. 
it's a really well-considered approach there. And it's extraordinary that you were delivering so much of a response and being able to, as you say, fill the bellies of these people in these really difficult situations. So thank you for sharing that with our audience there, Paul. And Food for Life, it's currently listed that you address seven of the United Nations SDGs or the Sustainable Development Goals. So there are all these different goals if people are listening and they don't know about how we can basically fix all the world's big problems. So how does Food for Life measure their progress and impact that has been made towards addressing these seven targets? And why is it important for other organisations to also take account of this? The United Nations Sustainability Goals has been a good guideline for non-profit, not just non-profits, but any impact organization, any social enterprise to guide their strategy and actually how they can make a difference in the world. At the end of the day, you may have good intentions, but if your intentions are not directed properly, then it could be sort of a waste of money and a waste of effort. We've identified that there are seven SDGs that we touch with our project. And as I've mentioned, it's not just feeding people. It's a very comprehensive approach to solving world hunger. It's not just filling bellies, but it's the philosophical side where we believe that food is a medium of intention. It's a great communicator. So therefore, it can be used not only to fill bellies, but also create a sense of unity in the world, Mm -hmm. thus addressing issues like diversity and so on. It's a very multi-pronged to solving hunger. It's not just filling bellies. So Looking at the SDGs that we believe we're touching, there's no poverty. So obviously, when we talk about poverty, the first thing people think about is the struggle for people to put food on the table, because literally there are billions of people around the world that are struggling just to put a meal on the table. They're living on as little as a few dollars a day, which is extraordinary when you think about it. The amount of waste that happens in the Western countries, in the developed countries, And yet there are billions of people that are struggling just to put a bowl of rice on the table. Every day, over 900 million people go to bed hungry, which is amazing when you think about it, because the earth has the capacity to feed two to three times the population. But because food is not equitably shared, then there are people going to bed hungry. And the natural question is, why is there inequitable distribution of food? Why aren't we sharing the resources of the world? simply because we don't have this sense of unity. We don't have this sense of global brotherhood, sisterhood. That's a big problem in the world. No poverty is one issue that we're addressing. Zero hunger, obviously, because that's directly related to filling bellies. Good health and well-being, specifically the fact that we only serve plant-based food is directly addressing that SDG because it's well-recorded that a plant-based diet is far superior nutritionally dense, better for most of the population in the world to survive. Granted, everyone has a different biology and everyone's going to have a slightly different diet. But as a rule of thumb, a plant-based diet, a mostly plant-based diet at least, is way better for people's health and well-being. So we only serve plant-based meals. Quality education, and this specifically relates to our efforts in India, where we work directly with the Indian government providing meals at government-sponsored schools so that underprivileged children get a freshly cooked meal, thus encouraging them to get their full education and breaking the poverty cycle. Reduced inequalities, that's another SDG. And again, this is where we talk about the food yoga philosophy, using food as a medium to equality Mm. and unity and so on. 
sustainability, cities and communities. Over 2.4 billion people lack access to proper sanitation facilities and 1 billion lack access to drinkable water. So some of our programs actually provide fresh water, digging wells and things like that. It's not just about feeding people, but we also have programs to provide fresh water for these people. All of Food for Life Global's food programs are completely vegan and provide a sustainable alternative to meat. Because one of the things which people don't understand is that the biggest polluter of the waterways of the world is factory farming of animals. 50% of the world's waterways are polluted by factory farms. So the more people can adopt a vegan diet, a plant-based diet, the better it is for the world's waterways. And then climate action, this is another, again, related to the fact that it's plant-based. Back in, I think it was 2016, there was a report that came out and they identified that the planes, trains and cars of the world, the pollution that they create was actually less than the factory farming of animals. Factory farming of animals was the greatest polluter of the environment. And yet the irony is you have people advocating for the environment and very pro-environment. And yet you ask them, what is your diet? And they'll say that they eat red meat and chicken and everything else, thus undermining their sincere efforts to try to help the environment. So it's well, well documented that a plant-based diet is better for the environment and factory farming is the worst thing for the environment. So they're the seven SDGs that we're currently identified as related to the work that we do. It's really clear how documenting all of these different areas of impact that Food for Life Global is helping form this great narrative of your success as an organization and the social impact that you're creating. So thank you for sharing that, Paul. I'm sure there's a lot there for our audience to be able to dissect and then also bring into their own enterprises and ventures. If we're looking towards the future now for other impact-led individuals such as yourself, where are there opportunities for people to develop their own organizations and to create a social impact? This could be a good question for ChatGPT. You could actually ask that question and get a whole bunch of answers. But the world as we see it today, it's so different than it was when I was younger. The issues of the world are just being amplified and culture and politics is just crumbling. It's like everything's just breaking around us. We have all this sense of disempowerment. The corporate elites, those who are controlling the money, are very much doing whatever they can to enhance their own self-benefit, but at the expense of the general public, which is really unfortunate. I think the most important thing that a young person can do is look for ways to create community and culture and to revive that and not buy into this idea that we all hate each other and judging people by their skin color and their political interests. And at the end of the day, we're all humans. We're all earthlings. We're all spiritual beings. We're all in this together. We're all interdependent beings, meaning we all need to serve each other to survive as an ecosystem. Any effort around creating positive culture, unity, respect, and love, all of that is good because it's really needed because the social media and big corporations and the fake media is really hurting the heart and health of society, unfortunately. So we need alternative platforms away from platforms controlled by self-interested corporations. And this is what's happening in the world today. These corporations, they don't really care about the public. All they're caring about is their immediate shareholders. So anything that we can do to break that control that they have over us, over our minds, our dollars, our finances, I think that's 
always a good direction to take. Things like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, digital currencies, all of this is good to get away from the very corrupted, compromised fiat systems, central bank systems. Of course, with Food for Life Global, as I said, it's not just about feeding people, it's about creating unity in the world. So we're not your average food relief organization. We're using food as a way to unite people, to promote this idea that, hey, we're earthlings, we're spiritual beings, we're all brothers and sisters. I love you, here's a plate of food. One of the things that we can all agree on is we may have differences of opinion, but when there's a birthday or a Thanksgiving or Christmas, we're all happily sitting around the table as a family unit. Food is the great uniter. So anything involving pure food, food which is free from violence, prepared with loving intention, anything along those lines is always a good initiative. And anything where we're creating positivity and unity and trying to break the corporate control that's destroying culture right now. All of that is good as well. That probably wasn't the answer you were expecting, right? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't the answer I was expecting. <laughs> it was a beautiful message nonetheless. Thank you very much for sharing that there, Paul. I think that there's a lot of deep insight and reflections that can be made there for people who are considering starting their own journey and why they want to create that positive change like you have done when they're inspired by this. So Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's bringing us near the end of our interview now. I just have two questions left to ask. And the first one is, what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across that are creating a positive social change? We have a new project called Kindly, K-I-N-D-O-Y. And the whole purpose of Kindly is to make it easy for people to be kind. It's a purpose-driven social enterprise built on the Polygon blockchain where we're building applications and tools to enable and empower people to measurable social impact automatically while they're going about their daily business. Whether it's like purchasing something from a company that is socially responsible, then that activity of purchasing that product or service will generate instant measurable social impact because of the kindly ecosystem that we're building. The first project, the first product that we're bringing to market is called the Kindly Social Impact engine which will process track and audit social impact on the blockchain essentially we want to become like the supply chain of social impact and then following that will be what's called a kindly search engine so just like google where you search for whatever we'll actually have a vertical search engine which specifically searches for your measurable social impact so you can see what good you've done today and over a period of time what cumulative good you've done or your company has done for the world so that's the Kindly ecosystem. And you can find that at kindlyimpact.com to check that out. And we have a lot of confidence and excitement about that project. And another project that I'm working on is called the On Guarantee Certification of Social Group, which is essentially like the source of what the Kindly project stands for. Similarly, it's a certification of social good. Other than that, there are many other really good platforms. Uh, projects like Ecology is a really good one. If anyone's checked them out, and basically they're selling social impact. It's not on the blockchain, but they're selling social impact. They're making it easy for people to give back in a measurable way. You can actually see your impact. There's also gold standard is another one. There's quite a few platforms. So this space is starting to fill up because it's responding to a need and urging, particularly from the younger generation, from your generation, that you want to see the world improve and be respected. You want companies to be socially responsible and, and not just care about the bottom line, but care about the earth, the people and the community and so on. So this push for social responsibility 
is coming primarily from the younger generation. So companies are listening to them and pretty much anyone starting a business now has to also include social responsibility and their impact on society and on the communities that they serve. This space facilitating and providing opportunities and solutions for companies and individuals to give back in a measurable way is starting to fill up. And as I said, there's two projects that I'm personally involved in, but there's so many now around. Really powerful initiatives there. And it's great to see as well that social impact happening on the blockchain and venturing out into these new and innovative spaces as well. So thank you for sharing those there. And to finish off now, Paul, what books or resources would you recommend for our listeners to check out? The Kindly Project actually has just started a podcast called Crypto for Humanity. We're bringing on various industry experts to discuss social impact in their industry and various aspects of the social impact cycle. But there's so many resources out there. And again, this is a great question for ChatGPT. You'd probably find that would give you a whole bunch of books. I don't know if your listeners are using ChatGPT, but it's all about using prompts. The more specific your prompt can be, the more accurate your answer you'll get. So there's Crypto for Humanity, our podcast. There's a whole bunch of social impact podcasts out there I would recommend. And then in terms of books, the first place to start would be what's called cause marketing. That's actually like the granddaddy concept of all of this, because back in the day, I think it was like late 80s, AMX actually was the first corporation to attach charity to their business. It's called cause marketing, where you actually lead with a cause for your marketing. And more and more now, that's becoming a reality of doing a good business, where you will not just be considering how much profit you make, but it's the triple bottom line where you also consider the impact on the planet and people. Cause marketing would be a good place to start in terms of searching for resources and in articles and things like that. Mintel, M-I-N-T-E-L, is a good resource for research done specifically in this area, corporate social responsibility, cause marketing, ESG. And again, if you just did a search either on Google or ChatGPT, you'd come up with a whole list of books. There's books like Cause for Concern, Cause-Related Marketing, and specifically that, Cause Marketing for Dummies, if you really want to dumb it down. <laughs> so there are plenty of resources. But as a final point, any young entrepreneur out there, if you want to have a long-term successful project and you want to stand out, you absolutely have to attach Cause to your business. You cannot even expect to be successful unless you're considering a triple bottom line, which is also including people on the planet. So it's profits, people on planet. There's are three things you need to consider. Wonderful final note to end off there. And all of those books, resources, initiatives, including Food for Life Global that were mentioned throughout our chat today, they'll all be linked in at the end of the article. So once people have either listened to our conversation or they've had a read, they'll be able to click on through, check those out and learn more about these wonderful things that are happening around them. So that actually brings us now to the end of our interview, Paul. And I just want to say on behalf of Impact Boom, thank you so much for making the time to share this wonderful journey that you've had with us and share all of those facets of impact, whether that's through your new initiatives, such as Kindly on the Blockchain or Food for Life Global or the social enterprises and various humanitarian responses you've provided throughout your career. It's all really wonderful and very insightful as well for our audience. So thank you so much. All the best for the future. You're most welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. 
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.